Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Law Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder, CEO, and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held businesses, tax, trusts, and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being for lawyers. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. On today's episode, my guest is Cheryl Kuhn, owner of Tarsus Consulting out of Kansas City, Missouri. Cheryl has extensive experience in developing training and performance improvement solutions for companies. Today, we're going to talk about tools that can be used for team building. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you hear a lot about teamwork in workplaces, which I'm quite sure has been really interesting recently, but why does teamwork matter? I mean, does it? What if the group is full of individual contributors? Uh, teamwork definitely matters. And as a matter of fact, uh, teamwork is, I'd say it's one of your most significant competitive advantages if you can have a really well-functioning team uh, with your staff. And it, it is true that it's different. If you have a team that is a lot of individual contributors uh, versus a team that really sits in the same room and does project work together, the teamwork required is a little different. But if you have a, um, no, no matter what kind of team you have, if it's you know a volleyball team or a track team, whatever kind of team you have, if you have an organization and a team that can, that pulls together well, they'll make good, fast decisions they will take advantage of all the talent in the room. So, you know, when you have a group of people and only one person is talking and everyone else just sits there, you lose all the talent in the room. A good team takes advantage of all the opinions in the room. So you are, you're leveraging the, all of the ability that you have. Um, You don't waste time on uh, politics and, you know, all those sort of behind the room conversations that suck time and energy out of your employees. Uh, your retention is better. You, you, an organization with good, te- with good teamwork 
one of, one of the primary reasons people leave organizations is uh, they don't like the culture, they don't like the people they work with, you know, they don't have a good team. Um, so there really are, I mean, there's a whole host of reasons why teamwork, a good team makes a tremendous difference in the productivity of an organization and, and, and then just the morale, which of course impacts productivity anyway. You know, one of my examples of, I think, where, you know, you see in the remote work, and I'm sure it's uh, one of the, you know, a topic of a lot of conversations. I'm just using it more as an example of your concept that, so we went to a lot of meetings by Zoom and Teams in our office. In the Teams meeting environment, there is a tendency for one person to talk more. It's a little harder to interact. And what we would see is that everybody else would start Teams messaging, this is so stupid, or things like that. And yes. we saw that it's like, okay, how do we have interactive meetings by team? But so in general, yeah. how do I know if I have a good team? Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's, it's really interesting because it's, it's hard to tell. Um, leaders, your intuition means something. And your intuition, you know, based on your interactions with people, do you see the kind of behavior you just mentioned? That's a good clue that, hey, there's something that's not quite perfect here. Uh, but your, your intuition is one tool. You talk to people, you're in touch as a leader, you're, you, you observe things and you ask and you pay attention. Um, I have worked with enough teams where um, I'll, I'll head out to do a program and I'll ask the manager, oh, what's the state of your team? What's your team like? They'll say, oh, they're great. And then I'll show up. And within 10 minutes, I'll see in the room where the manager isn't, or the leader isn't, I'll, I'll see that there are issues with the team. You know, people aren't supporting one another. They are not con having conflict in a constructive way. So while intuition is a good tool to tell you whether you think you have a good team or not, I wouldn't rely on just your own intuition. Um, you ask questions. I'm, I'm a big fan of objective tools. So uh, I, uh, Patrick Lincini, who wrote uh, the five behaviors of a dysfunctional team has a, uh, has a great tool that's like a 360 for teams. And so I- So it's different from the 360 generally. This is specifically for teams, his tool, okay. Yes, yeah, so you, you're right, exactly. So, you know, 360 for a manager is everyone says, oh, what do you think of your manager? The 360 for a team is a series of, it's an assessment where everyone responds to how do you think our team is doing? And they answer questions about the health of their team. And so you as a leader and the team itself then kind of gets almost a report card on the team. And the, the, I, had, I happen to love this tool because it also provides you with normative data. So comparative data on how your team does. Are you a red light, a yellow light, or a green light? How are you doing relative to other teams who have also taken this assessment? And so instead of saying, okay, we're this number here and this number here, and you might not know what those numbers mean, you, you get a, a sense for you know, kind of how do we stack up and what are our strengths and where, what, what can we do differently? And I do, 
these, these objective tools like this, where everyone on a team has a chance to weigh in, no one's comments, no one's votes, no one's assessment weighs any more than anyone else's. It really does give you a good snapshot of how your team, how is your team really doing? Are you taking advantage of the competitive advantage a great team will provide? Or do you have, do you have room for growth? So when there's certain behaviors that are measured in that team environment, one of those is trust. How do you yes. build trust? Yes. So the, the foundation for a good team is trust. So there's lots of things good teams do well, but if they don't trust one another, they're, they're not going to be able to do the rest well. So trust is foundational. How do you build it? is uh, it's, it's challenging. Uh, the, a couple of suggestions on building trust within a team. Uh, one is that in spite of the old adage that familiarity breeds contempt, it does not. When you interact more with people, we tend to, we tend to build trust. We tend to trust people more when we interact with them more. So if we know them better, we tend to, we understand them better and we tend to trust them more. So that's why you have organizations who say, hey, let's go out and let's go bowling or let's, let's do something together so we get to know one another. That's not deep, intense team building, but it is team building. It's an opportunity to get to know people, to interact, to talk to them, uh, to be in an environment which isn't 100% task focused, so you get to know them in a different in a, in a different way. Uh, trust is also built uh, since, since foundation foundational to trust is knowing someone, knowing that you can count on them, and understanding where they're coming from. Another tool that can help tremendously, and you see it used a lot in team building, is a, some kind of personal style assessment. So people will use Myers-Briggs or DISC um, to help team members understand what the priorities are and what the tendencies are of their, their teammates so that they understand them well, as opposed to misunderstanding why they're doing what they're doing. And I think one of the things, like when you use the bullying example, that's kind of a good example that these tests, like the DISC, and I've done most of them, and I tend to be in a certain place, you know, that some of them have quadrants of some sort or whatever. I tend to be fairly consistent where I show up, and um, but you can't, like, just pigeon. I think one of the best things I ever had somebody say to me was, well, okay, you're a CD on the disc or whatever it is. That right. doesn't mean that you don't have some skills over here or it doesn't mean you can't do something different than – you just don't want to use them just as complete pegs, right? Definitely. As a matter of fact, um, so I had a client once who they had people put their disc – and they used disc. They had in their company directory, like we used to get people's phone numbers and stuff, they had the disc style of the – employees. So you look up their number and you'd see what their disc style was. And it was really an interesting thing to do. Uh, and it was, they, they were big fans of disc. They liked the idea. They wanted to make it real. But in the end, it was more detrimental because it labeled people. And none of us are as 
you, you can't take, you know, 16 ways of describing people and think that it's going to get to the richness and really describe how someone is. Uh, for me, what I feel that the beauty of these tools is not that you have a label. It's that you sit with your team and you share your report and you respond to it. You say, yes, I agree with that on this. I do like it when people, so for example, if you're a DC or CD, which is detail orientation and gets to the point, and I want to get things done and get them done right. Um, when, you, when you sit with your team and talk about that, you can say, yeah, you know what? I like it when you come into my office and get to the point. And if I don't ask you how your day is going or how your dog is doing or you know something, it doesn't mean that I don't care about you. It means that I'm task focused. And if I give you a quick answer, it doesn't mean that I'm mad. It means I'm all about getting things done quickly. So that dialogue is what adds value to this. I, I worked with someone once who was a high I, which is um, influence. They're kind of the social people. And uh, she had uh, people she had worked with had asked about her style. They said, oh, I can tell you're a high I. You chit chat with everyone and that kind of thing. And she said it. there was one thing that drove her nuts, which was High eyes sometimes are late. They tend to be a little tardy because they get involved with chatting with people and this and that. And she would get absolutely passionate about the fact that I'm a high eye, but I am never late. I turn in everything on time. People don't understand that. They think I'm not going to, you know, and, and uh, the assessment talks about your preferences and tendencies. It doesn't talk about your skills and abilities. And it's really important for people to understand that. It's important for people to say, this is like me, this is accurate here, but it's not accurate here. And uh, here's, here's how you can help me help. This, this will help you understand what I'm doing um, as opposed to just saying, yeah, I'm a DI, this is, this is what you can expect from me. So that's, I'm a big believer in you have to talk about these for them to be meaningful, not just give people labels. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors, Carson Private Client. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. And so one of the other behaviors that you talk about for an effective team is dealing with conflict and those dis-styles having conversations about them can be helpful. I know that, again, I am the one who walks into the office, forgets to say hi, jumps right in, right down to the, okay, let's talk about what we need done in the next five minutes. Yeah. And my partner is the 
analytical out on the extreme edge of the circle. So I'd walk okay. into his office and say, okay, I need to resolve this like right now. And he's yes. looking at me like he's going to choke. And <laughs> so we had somebody explain, and it's not so much conflict as a really for us more effective communication. And so what I was taught to do is walk in, tell him what I'm thinking about, and then say, so I'm going to let you think about that overnight. Yes. And I'll be back in tomorrow morning and ask you where you're, where you are. And yes. since I learned to do that, it's been a whole different ball game because I used to get like fresh. I just can't get an answer out of him. I just can't get an answer out of him. Right. Yes. Whereas when I changed that approach, so that's where I do think having some information about those styles can help you manage both communication and conflict, knowing that different styles are part of resolving conflict. Is that right? Definitely. And that's a great adaptive strategy. And he too should think about, hey, you know what, Mary maybe doesn't want all the detail. Maybe she wants big picture and she doesn't want me to go into the minutiae every time we've got a decision coming up. So as you learn those things about one another, you're, you will communicate much more effectively. And I think um, one sort of foundation, again, of great teams and I, I mention this in every group I talk to is you assume positive intent. So when you are working with someone, they do something that drives you crazy or seems silly or seems stupid, or they seem so slow in making the decision. What's your, what, what's their problem? DISC helps you assume positive intent. It helps you understand that the reason they're not making a decision when you want them to make one is because they want to get it right. And they're thinking through all the details it teaches you that when someone spends maybe more time than you think is necessary chit-chatting, it's not that they are trying to avoid working, it's that they're really relationship focused. So it, it helps you, I don't, I don't know, give the benefit of the doubt is the right thing, but it, it builds uh, tolerance and understanding of, for people with different styles, if that makes sense. It does. And I love that statement. There was actually a leadership article yesterday that I read about assume positive intent. And I had not heard it said that way. So I think it's awesome that you said that phrase today, because so often I will have somebody come in, you know, my executive team and somebody will come in with a memorandum or agenda and they'll be, well, so-and-so is just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the thing, and they're just assuming it's like they're really not being part of the team and I, you know, the whole nine yards. So I had that situation came up last week. I made a couple of phone calls, had nothing to do with not wanting to follow our process or anything like that. It was a matter of that a technology issue that hadn't been addressed. And so in, yes. had we asked the question, just saying, we note that you are using this particular approach, which is in our process. Is there a reason why? Because we did tell you about the process. Then, you know, we, we could, is the, the positive intent in my mind would be to assume that they were doing something different because for a reason other than. And so I see that a, a fair amount. So how do you yes. really, is that leadership that makes a difference in that approach? How do you establish that kind of culture, which I think is one of the next things to, that we're talking about is culture and accountability. But how can you create that? assume positive intent as part of your culture? I think um, tools, and, and that was a perfect example because it's so easy to think, oh, they're just being stubborn or something as opposed to let, let me really figure this out. Um, the, the way that you, you do that, you, it starts with that trust. It's getting to know one another and recognizing that 
as you get to know people, you understand that they are the vast majority. There are some bad actors. I happen to believe that's very rare, but the vast majority want to do a good job. And as you get to know them, you understand that. When you use a tool like DISC, you start to understand that, um, okay, I know this person and I recognize that their style says they're really, they like to do everything perfectly. Hmm, maybe they're doing, you, you, you start, um, instead of assuming that they're doing something to be stubborn, you can understand maybe it's because of their style. So if they can't do it exactly right, they might fall back on what they did before, which they can do exactly right, which isn't that someone is being difficult. It's they're acting consistent with their priorities and tendencies. Um, and that puts a whole different face on why people might not be doing what you want them to do. And it's interesting because the number one, when people are fired, the number one reason the people who are fired say they lost their job is they say they did not know what was expected of them. And it's just interesting because that whole questioning, the, the conversation to really figure out, are, are they understanding? You may feel as if, oh, I've made this crystal clear. Uh, do they, you know, how can they not get it? Well, we all come from different places. There are different things that resonate with uh, different people. So sometimes when you recognize that the issue uh, may be one of communication and understanding instead of someone having, you know, inabilities or negative approaches, you approach problems better and you're more likely to take care of them. So, so really it starts with getting to know people, understanding them, uh, creating a culture that supports that. So as a leader where there is a mistake, instead of saying, well, you know, what the heck? I can't believe this person isn't doing what I asked him to do as a leader. It's, gosh, we need to explore and figure that out. We need to have a conversation with him and find out or her and find out what's going on. So, you know, the, the leader is always modeling the, the way that the organization should approach things. So I'm just going to admit that I have long, had long been the person who walked in the back door hoping nobody saw me walk in so I could go into my office, close the door, and get stuff done. And then we had this meeting where that upset about needing to know expectations came and that it was important to everyone there and actually more important to those that don't work directly with me for me to acknowledge them. So now I go in the long way through the hall and it's amazing <laughs> what a difference it makes for me to stop and say hello to everyone in the yes. morning, even if I just am walking by. But let's talk a little more about accountability. One of the things I see is what I call, and I'm interested in how you'll couch it, what I call over-functioning and under-functioning. So I've observed that we have team members who might under-function and then somebody else over-functions for them. They're trying to make sure everything happens. Sometimes if they stop over-functioning, the under-functioner may step in. And so that's where I think the accountability, at least in some of what I see, comes in. But can you speak to just the concept of accountability? Yeah, it's, it's huge with a good team. And, and really the concept of accountability with a good team is predicated on the assumption that the leader cannot be there all the time. So the manager should not be the only one that makes people accountable. Of course, it's a manager's function to make people accountable, but um, 
a well-functioning team on a team that has trust, team members will go to one another and they'll, they're, they will have the uh, trust and the communication ability to say, hey, I got this and it's not what I wanted. They don't go to their manager to tell that, right? They go to their team member, their, their um, counterpart, their peer, whatever it might be. It doesn't need, it's not just that uh, someone who a person reports to provides them with feedback and makes them accountable and says, you know, I needed this and I didn't get it on time. What's, what's going on? And help me understand what happened and how we can make sure it doesn't happen again. So the accountability concept is one that is not just about the leader making people accountable, but the team itself making, you know, making one another accountable. And really good teams do that very well. I really like that. That actually takes some pressure off the leader in terms of. So another one of these five behaviors of an effective team is commitment. Yes. How do you create a higher level of commitment? Yeah. Um, Real critical one. If people don't believe in what they're doing, then they're not likely to engage or provide discretionary effort, all those things. The best way to provide commitment uh, ties into communication, explain what needs to be done and why. The other part of it, though, is that people need to be given the opportunity to, to, to weigh in. So if there's a decision that needs to be made, and, uh, you know, it's half your team likes it, half doesn't, right? As a leader, you don't always, you're not going to make everyone happy all the time. That's just the way it is. Um, but if the people who believe something different than what was ultimately decided, who feel like the goal isn't what it should be, if they had the opportunity to weigh in, to provide input on the goal, to have their perspectives heard or addressed, they are much more likely to commit. So people, even if they don't agree with the decision, if they feel as if they've been heard and their perspective has been considered, they are then able to commit. It's the people who have some decision that they feel as if was just came from above, no one gave any thought to anything, told them, here's your goal, here's what needs to be done, here's the direction we're headed. That's where people don't commit. Because if they feel as if they had no um, input, they had no understanding, even even understanding of what was done, that's where you run into problems where people don't commit. So they need to understand uh, why it is they're doing what they need to do. They need to uh, know that different perspectives were considered. And that's where you're likely to find that they will, that's where they'll start to commit. And so the last of those five behaviors in the study you referred to relates to results. So what about results? So ultimately, the determinant of is your team functioning well is does your team achieve what it is they're supposed to achieve? Are you, are you uh, attaining results at a very high level? And that boils down to clarity. So can the leader tell you if the results are being achieved or not? What are the measurements that are in place? So a team will know how they're doing relative to the results and clarity around what the goals are and a way to monitor, hey, are we doing what we say we want to do? Is Here's our goal. Um, but if, if I'm not going to know whether I'm achieving the result or not, then I'm likely not going to achieve it, right? So the, the results 
part of creating a highly effective team is really boils down to clarity. My clarity, am I being really clear on the results that I want so that people can monitor their success and know if they are achieving as they should be as a part of the team? Thank you. Any last thoughts, Cheryl? You know, I would just say those people who've been on a great team, when you've been a part of a team that is collaborative and, you know, you, you engage with one another and you, you learn a lot, they just, they want, it makes such a difference in terms of not just productivity and creativity, but in terms of a fun place to work. And when you think about retention nowadays with, you know, the great resignation and all that stuff, um, having a workplace where people feel supported and that people enjoy, I think it's more important than it ever has been before. Well, thanks so much for being on the episode today. And we're going to do another one on leadership, but that's all for now. I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Wealth. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. Ahura Media Production.